This past weekend, I had the opportunity, the privilege to uh, be out in Mississippi preaching at a Disciple Now for students. Um, if you don't know what a Disciple Now is, we have it here at Luke 418, but it's a time, uh, a weekend where the kids come and, and just get away and um, we teach and we walk through some type of, of, of teaching and discipleship and growth. And um, So Friday and Saturday I was there, not to say I'm a little bit tired, um, but man, we saw God move so powerfully. Last night, as, as the evening was closing, there was about a hundred students in the audience, and all of a sudden, this, just, the response to God and what God was doing was so overwhelming that students were having to wait for students to get off the altar for them to come down. And it was just an incredible, incredible time. With that being said, emotionally, I'm exhausted because just a powerful moment. Uh, but I am super excited about this morning and sharing what God's put on my heart um, as I began to prepare. As Brother Fred is obviously um, uh, under the weather, he called me just this morning and told me to let you know that he is uh, four days into the flu, uh, but he is recovering. He just now has a low-grade fever um, and he said that he would not be around anybody until that broke. And I told him, thank you. Um, for, so we need to continue to be praying for him. Just so you'll know, uh, my son has the flu. Uh, my daughter had it earlier this week. She's now over it. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy uh, out there. I'm so thankful y'all are all here today. Uh, it is a joy to be here. I believe that God has a specific word for us. Um, for those that are here, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and we're going to get started. Lord, we love you. We praise you. God, I thank you for what we saw last night. Lord, I thank you for just, God, your word does not come back void. Lord, I sit here and I watch year after year and I see the presence and the power of the living God. Lord, your, your word doesn't change, it doesn't come back void, and it doesn't lose any power. Though the culture wants to change your word, your word will never change. It will only change the lives of people. So Lord, as we dive into your word today, God, I pray for just supernatural energy this morning. But God, more than that, I pray that the breath of the living God goes forth. For it's in your name. Amen. If you'll open up your scriptures to one that you probably have memorized. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Alright, if everybody will open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. And today we're going to talk about the word of God. For some people in this room, you're going to get really excited. For some people in this room, you may get upset with me, but that's okay. I still love you. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is inspired. The word inspired there literally translates breathed. God breathed. All Scripture is breathed by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction, for training in righteousness. I want to stop right there, and I want to just take the very beginning of that scripture. 
It says, all scripture is God-breathed. Now, several years ago, I took you on a journey of the breath of God. But I want to take you briefly on that journey again today. We see the breath of God in Genesis chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 7. It says this, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust and from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. I want you to see that the word of God is God breathed. In Genesis chapter 2, that breath is what gave Adam life. In Ezekiel 37, you don't have to flip there, we see the dry bones that become, come to life. You can go look at it, look it up later. And in that, once the flesh had come upon them, the problem is that there was no life in them. So he said, prophesy to the breath and let the breath breathe into them. And those dry bones came to life. You see in scripture in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And I love this. And the Word was God. Now flip down to verse 14 and it says this. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I show you all this to begin to see that what we have in our hand is the breath of the living God. Like, this is pretty valuable. This is pretty big. Like, it's not just this big book that doesn't have pictures in it unless you bought a picture Bible. Like, this is the breath of the living God. And what we see in Scripture is that this becomes flesh. It becomes Jesus, right? And ultimately, Jesus dies on the cross. John 14 says that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And so therefore, the breath of God is the only thing that can bring dry bones to life. All Scripture is God-breathed. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, it says, it says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God will stand forever. We see here that we have the breath of the living God in our hands. When you wake up in the morning and you go into a quiet time or a quiet place and you open up the book, the Bible, the Holy Word of God, you are literally opening up the breath of the living God speaking to you. Pretty powerful. It's the only thing that we see in Scripture that will not come back void. My words will come back void, but God's breath will not. I don't know how many pastors we have in the room, but one of the things that I have learned is, is that if I try to do anything from the stage in my own power and in my own words, it will come back void. But when I come up on this stage and I simply breathe out the breath of God, I know for a fact because I have it written in the scriptures that it will not come back void. And I wish that every pastor across America could get that simple point. But they need to quit trying to do it on their own. They need to quit trying to speak eloquently. And simply just let the breath of God flow out. So what we see here is, is that the breath of God is the only thing that can bring dry bones to life. It's the only thing that can transform our lives 
We see that the word became flesh. We see the value of what we have right here. The breath of the living God. And let me just remind you, this is the same breath that in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and light happened. Now, I'm no scientist, and I don't claim to be. But I was told that the universe is still expanding. It's still like, like going out. That's why some people believe in this thing called the Big Bang Theory because they think that it's still going out. But wouldn't it be interesting that if the reason the universe is still expanding is because when God breathed, that breath is still going forth. That's how powerful our God is. The same God who breathed and and this earth that we live on was created. The same God who breathed and and animals were created is the same God who breathed and gave us what we have right here. So the first thing I want you to see today is that we have the breath of the living God in our hands. It's a lot more valuable than a book that just needs to gather dust at your house. This is life or death. This is life or death. It's the bread of life. And let me tell you something, if you don't eat for a week, you get hungry. You get real hungry. When you get hungry, you go to the refrigerator in America. Or you go to the grocery store and you get food so that you can satisfy that hunger. Let me ask you this question. Do you value this more than literal bread in your life? Do you value this as life or death? Do you get in the Word every day, just as you would eat food every day, just as you breathe every day? Would you get in this? Do you realize that this is more valuable than bread itself? The second Thursday of every month, we pass out food to those in need in our community. And what we always pray is, though we were giving them bread, physical bread, we pray that they realize today that what they need is the bread of life. It's way more valuable than any food that we could ever give somebody. And the first thing I want you to realize today is that as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed, that we literally have the breath of the living God right here in our hands. But the second thing I want you to see is that God's word is the absolute truth. God's word has no errors in it. God's word is the absolute truth. If you'll flip over or you can look on your screens to 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 20 and 21. It says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Do you see what God has just told us? Is that the word of God was inspired by by him. It was not man just writing down things. And so maybe we have the words of God, but yet some fallacy of man. No, it says that the word of God is infallible because it was spoken and given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So let's just be real for a moment. If you sit here and you say, David, there's errors in this Bible, or you pick and choose pieces of it, then you have to throw out this verse. Because otherwise, God's a liar. Oh, and Titus tells us in chapter 1, verse 2, 
It says this. It says, in a hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long ago. So for you to say that there's any piece of the scripture that's wrong, or you want to remove any piece of the scripture, then you have to say that the character of God that cannot lie is incorrect. You have to change the character of God who Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You literally have to change the character of God for you to say that there's fallacies in this word. But let's look at a few more scriptures about the word. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. And I'm just going to walk through about five scriptures here and just let you see what the word of God says. It says, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to this word or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. Can I just tell you something real quick? Our culture wants to add and take away from this word all the time. They want to add a few things here and take away a few things here. You know why? Because they don't like to answer to the God who is. Do you realize that if you read this Bible, the Word of God, and that if you remove the things you don't like and keep the things you do like, you have now created a God in your image. Oh, and let me just tell you something. The God that's made in your image didn't go to the cross for you. Let's just be real about it. The God that's made in your image didn't die on the cross for your salvation. But the God who is, says that he loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross, a criminal's death, so that your freedom could be bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the God who is. And so if you sit here and you say, you know, I don't like this verse, or, or, or I, I struggle with that verse, or, or I can't handle, no, I'm going to remove that verse. As the culture has spoken, and even people in the culture have said, it's time for us, or for people, to, to, to allow the, the deep-seated, rooting things of the Bible to be removed. No, the Bible will never be changed. Let me just tell you something. If I were to take a ball right here, and I were to, to let go of that ball, what's going to happen to it? It's going to fall to the ground. I don't care if anybody in this room were to say, David, I do not believe in gravity. David, I don't believe in it. I do not believe that gravity exists. And I drop the ball, or I let go of the ball, and it drops. I would look at that person and say, I really, it really doesn't matter what you think or believe. Gravity still exists. Even though you think that gravity doesn't exist, oh, it still does. It doesn't matter how much you believe it or not. Let me just tell you, if every person in the world said that the Bible is not the absolute truth, it would still be the absolute truth. So it doesn't matter how much you believe it or not, it's still the absolute truth, the Word of God. It says in John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Psalms 19, 7 through 8. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, or the word of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
In verse 8, it says, the precepts, the word of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Man, we see in, in Psalms the purity of the word, the truth of the word. We see that, that it's everlasting. In Psalms 119, 160, it says this, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. And what I quoted earlier, Isaiah 40, verse 8, it says this, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God, it stands forever. So I'm just going to be honest with you today. I do care because I love you. I do care what you think. But your thoughts, if you ever tell me that the word of God is not the absolute truth, it will never change the Word of God. The Word of God is not situational. No, it's the absolute truth, the breath of the living God. Let me ask you this question today. Do you truly believe that this Word is infallible? Do you truly believe that it's the absolute truth and that it's God-breathed? Because that belief if you truly believe it, will lead you to action. This chair right here, I believe it will hold me up. I believe that it's structurally sound. And so if I go over here and sit down on this chair, then I'm putting action in my belief. Praise the Lord, it didn't fall. But I'm putting action in my belief that I'm willing to sit down in this chair because I'm showing, hey, I believe that it's truly structurally, structurally sound and that it will hold me up. When we look at the breath of the living God and we see what it says, we must take action accordingly. Now the third thing I want to talk about today, and this is pretty difficult, but it doesn't really matter what our culture says, the word of God will never change. You know, I began to just think about just cultural issues. And let me just start with a simple one. Is it wrong to lie? Yeah, it is. But just the other day, I heard somebody tell me, they said, David, I only lie whenever it will help the other person out. Now, this person was, uh, well, I'll just, I won't even go there. I'll just tell you that this person said this. And I thought to myself how how grossly wrong, can I say that? Is, that? is that the right way to say it? How grossly incorrect that statement was. Because first off, the reason that we don't lie is not because mama and daddy told me not to lie. It's because the word of God tells me not to lie. But the reason I was so struggled with that, com that comment was is that's what the culture thinks today. Is that there are some situational times that it's okay to lie. This person was telling me that, hey, you know, it's okay for me to, to, to tell a lie if it's going to help that person out. Well, the scripture doesn't show anywhere in scripture that sin helps anybody out. And the reason that statement is so wrong to me is this, is that that person in that moment is saying, God, I understand that you tell me not to lie, but I know a better way to help somebody out. I know a better way. I'm not going to tell them the truth so it doesn't hurt them. I'm not going to tell them the truth. Listen, that's like not telling somebody about the fact that, that, that Christ is the only way to heaven and you just say, well, I don't want to hurt them, so I'm just going to let them continue on. 
The culture basically says that there's situational ethics and there's certain times that, that I should or shouldn't lie. The problem, though, is who gets to determine when you can and can't lie? But the Word of God says in Exodus chapter 20 and the, the law of, of, uh, that, that God gives us, the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt not bear false witnesses. It tells us not to lie. The Scripture does. Why does God tell us not to lie? Because he understands what will take place if you do. He knows a whole lot better than we do. Let me put it to you this way. There's a couple things in my life that I love dearly. I love dearly. And I got a picture of, uh, of two of them. I want to show you one of them. There's one of them that I love dearly. That little boy right there, two years old, he's already preparing to be a quarterback somewhere. Wherever he gets a scholarship is where I will, that, that's the, the school I will cheer for. Man, I love him dearly. That's pretty good form. But I love him dearly. And then here's another one that I love dearly. There's my baby girl on her first day of school. Thank y'all so much for your prayers. This past week, she had surgery this past week, and she's, she is doing a whole lot better. I love them, both of them, dearly. I love them so much that when they are about to do something that's going to hurt them, I'll step in and tell them, don't do it. I love them so much that if my son, when it's snowing outside in Mobile, Alabama, that happens once every 20 years... As he wants to run across the street because he sees the snow but doesn't realize the cars. I love him enough to say, son, don't do it. Son, Samuel, stop. Don't do it. I love my son that much. I think that it's time that we get past the ideas of rules and regulations and we look at this as the breath of the living God who is our heavenly father. Who loves you so much that he knows the pain and the hurt that sin will lead and cause you. That he says, hey, don't do it. Don't do it. I'm not telling you out of rules and regulations. I'm telling you because I love you. I think that if our young people today could get that understanding and grasp that it's because he loves us with an unconditional agape love of the Father, that maybe it wouldn't be so hard to walk away from the sin in our lives. See, our culture tells us there's situational times that you can go steal. But in most cases, it's wrong. I think the culture really should just say it's only wrong whenever it happens to you. But the Word of God gives us direct guidance on that. But let me just be real with you. There's other cultural issues that the Word of God is very specific. About a year ago, the Supreme Court came out and said that marriage would be defined however you wanted it to be. But the word of God defined marriage in Genesis chapter 2. Like in the beginning, in the second book of the Bible, it was defined. You say, no, David, you're, you're, you're being a little bit um, narrow-minded here. No, 
I believe that this is the absolute truth of the word of God. And so therefore I stand with it. Like I'm just being 100% real with you. If you want to go and remove pieces out of the Bible, you have now made a gospel according to yourself. And a God of yourself. I know that sounds hard. I know that sounds painful in a, in a moment in our lifetime where political correctness is like rampant. And you're not supposed to speak anything. I love every person that comes into this place. And we're all sinful people in need of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture says. But I will always stand according to the word of God that will never fail me. I will not waver to my left or to my right according to the word of God. Because it tells me that this will stand forever. I fear God a whole lot more than I fear man. Our culture tells us that creation happened through a gas bubble at the bottom of the sea. Or through a big bang that happened in the sky. But see the absolute truth, the breath of the living God says in the beginning was God. And he spoke. Our culture will tell us that evolution And I'm not talking about survival of the fittest. I'm not talking about the fact that people in society adapt to different things. What I'm talking about is that our culture will try to show us that we evolved from from these lesser things and and came into who we are today. The problem is, is that they're trying to define how we came into existence so that they don't have to accept the creator God of the universe. Because when you realize there's a creator and you're the creation, creation will always surrender and bow down to its creation. And so this world tries so desperately to come up with all these ideas. Can I just make a statement? It's time that we take this as our foundation. And instead of saying, okay, we got to match the Bible up with science. No, no, no. We start with the Bible, and if science doesn't match up, it's wrong. Let me just be real with you. I don't care. I mean, listen, I understand there may be some scientists in this room that tell me I'm wrong with that. But listen, if science does not match up with the Word of God, there's an error in the science. Either there's error in the science, or my God's a liar. And let me just tell you, He's been faithful from the beginning of time. Creation, Genesis chapter 1, we see that God spoke and it happened. Our culture tells us that all roads lead to heaven. Our culture tells us that all religions will lead to the same God. Can I just tell you that if all, if all religions lead to the same God, then Jesus is a liar. John 14 says, I am the only way to the Father, only through me. And I don't know about y'all, but I ain't going to follow a liar. I'm just not going to do it. Our culture will tell us that all roads lead to heaven, but the word of God, the absolute truth says, oh no, that is a deception and a lie from the enemy. The only way to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ went to the cross for us. 
No other prophet in this world, no other religion has anybody who came and lived a perfect life and went to the cross to satisfy the sins of his people. But Jesus. So do you believe that this is the absolute truth? Or are you going to follow the culture that just like judges, they did what was ever right in their own eyes? I even believe that our culture tries really hard with the gap theory to incorporate evolution into the Bible. You say, what's the gap theory? This is when people, when we get to a place where, where maybe in Genesis chapter 1, each day wasn't a literal day, and so maybe it's millions and billions of years old. And some of that's because of how they've looked at rocks and carbon dating. The problem is with carbon dating is, is that they don't know how much carbon was there in the first place, so we just have to assume how much carbon was there. And listen, if I get to be the one assuming, then I can make that whatever I want it to make. I believe that God created this earth in seven literal days, and I believe this earth is six to seven thousand years old. You say, David, that seems pretty dogmatic. I'm just telling you, the only place in Scripture that people argue about what the meaning of a day is, is in Genesis chapter 1. Every other place in Scripture where the word day is, they, 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 don't, they look at the, the, the context clues and they, they, nobody argues it. The only place they argue is Genesis 1. Why? Because they want to produce millions of years because without millions of years, they can't have evolution. I'm just being honest with you today. I believe that this is the absolute truth, the breath of the living God, and this is the only thing I will stand on. It's the only thing I'll stand on. So we see that we have the breath of the living God. We see that we have the absolute truth. The infallible word of God. Is it dear to you? Is it dear to you? Do you hold it tight? Do you study it? Do you read it? Do you meet with the living God? Or is it an afterthought? The fourth thing I want you to see is in Luke chapter 5. This is some powerful stuff. You've got to hang in here. In Luke chapter 5, we see Simon and he's out fishing. And he comes back in and Jesus wants him to push the boat back out. And go to verse 5 for me. Simon answered. Jesus had just told him, hey, uh, I want to go out. I want to I go out and I want to... Uh, Jesus said, go out and cast your nets on the other side. Simon has just told God. He said to Jesus, he said, listen, I've been fishing all night. Remember, he was a fisherman. He knew what he was doing. At least on a human standpoint, right? But then he says, Simon answers. He says, master... We worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. That was his experience. That was his understanding. That was his feeling. He says, God, I feel this way. I've experienced this. But then he says it. But because you say so, I will. Peter says, Simon says, Lord, you got to catch this. He said, Lord, 
I understand what you're saying. Like, here's my experience. Here's my feeling. Here's how, this is how I feel about this whole situation. But because you've breathed out, because you've spoken, because you've given me your word, I will. The spoken word of God and the act of obedience of Simon. The spoken word of God and the act of obedience of Simon. He says, because you say so, I will. He doesn't say, well, God, let me just be honest with you. I know you've told me to, and I understand what the word of God says, but Lord, you just don't understand my situation. You don't understand that that's just not politically correct in this culture. You just don't understand that, that what you're telling me doesn't really fit in the 2000s or, or the, the, the 2018. That just doesn't fit in today's society. I just don't know if you get it. No, his comment was, because you said so, I will. End of discussion. So the fourth thing I want you to see is that we must surrender to the absolute truth. We must surrender to the breath of the living God, the absolute truth. Every single word of it. We must surrender to it. Every bit of it. Because you say so, I will. There's several instances in Scripture where men and women don't follow what God calls them to do. We're not going to read through it, but in 2 Samuel, you can write this down, chapter 6, verse 3 through 16, we see David, King David, bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. God had spoken an exact way for him to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. And instead of doing it the way that God had spoken, he did it his own way. He puts it on a new cart. They're walking out. The oxen trips. The cart begins to fall. And, and, and really, I don't blame the guy. If the Ark of the Covenant is about to fall, I probably would have pushed it up too. And in his anger, in God's anger, he died. You say, David, that's not fair. I understand what you're saying and you're coming from, from, from a human idea and I get it, I'm the same way. But here's the thing, our God is holy and when He speaks, it demands our surrender. And so He died for touching the ark and it all goes back to David not following the breath of the living God. And just a few few verses over, David then gets understanding of how to carry the ark. Man, they, they get the Levites, they put the poles in, they get it on their shoulders like they're supposed to, they take one, two, they take a third step, and all of a sudden, man, the Holy Spirit just begins to flow all over them. Joy, peace, excitement, they are going crazy. Why? Because God is coming back to Jerusalem. He gets into Jerusalem and what happens? Except for, man, they're dancing and David can't handle it. He begins to dance so mightily before the Lord that even his wife was like, what are you doing? Here's what I want you to see. When you don't surrender to the will of God and to the spoken word of God, it will lead to death. But when you surrender to the spoken word of God, it leads to joy. It leads to peace. There's another guy in the story in the Old Testament 
named Jonah. Jonah was called to go and speak to Nineveh, but yet he decided that he was going to, even though God had spoken, God had breathed out on him and given him a word, he said, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go to Tarsus. I'm going to run away. And what happens? He finds himself in the belly of a large fish. Why? Because he did not surrender to the breath of the living God. For three days, and let me just tell you something, I don't want to be in the belly of a large fish. It don't seem fun. He repents. Three days later, he's regurgitated back onto dry land. He then goes to Nineveh. And what happens? Repentance. When we don't follow the the breath of the living God, we find ourselves in painful situations. But when we follow the breath of the living God, people come to repentance. Repentance. I'm here to tell you that if we do not surrender to the will, if we do not surrender to the breath of the living God, to every piece of it, then I'm here to tell you it will lead to death and painful, painful situations in our lives. But when we surrender to the breath of the living God, we will see people come to know Jesus. We will see peace and joy in our life. I'm not saying that you're not going to have suffering and pain when you surrender to, to God's will and to the breath of the living God. You will, but in the midst of that pain and suffering, you will still have joy and peace. So let me ask you, have you surrendered to the absolute truth? Of the living God. What we have right here is the breath of the living God. That's pretty big stuff. The God who loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross. Yeah, he breathed this out and gave it to you. Because he loves you as your heavenly father. And he's given this to you. And the question is, will you surrender to the absolute truth of the breath of God? I'm going to say something that I think is very difficult, but I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't see how anybody can be a Christian and not believe in the absolute truth of the living God. I don't believe that you can sit there and say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but there's no buts about it. I know that's strong, and that's pretty tough to hear. But if you sit here and tell me that I believe in Jesus, but yet there's pieces of the Bible I don't believe in, I'm here to tell you, once you take one piece of it out, it becomes a lie. 99% truth with 1% lie is no longer the truth. Look at Adam and Eve. What happened is is God gives them a specific word. And then Satan comes in crafty as a snake and deceptive. And just twists the word of God just a little bit. And she believed it. And she followed it. And sin enters the world because of it. I honestly do not believe... That you can be a believer in Christ, a Christian, a bond servant of the Most High God. And take pieces of this and remove it. 
you have just taken and gotten rid of the foundation that you stand on. And you put yourself on shifting sand. Listen, if this changes with the culture, I don't want anything to do with it. But I'm here to tell you that this word has been around since the beginning of time. It says in the beginning was the word. It's been around since the beginning of time and it has never changed. Never changed. And so though the world may hate me, he said in the scripture right here that the world's going to hate me. Though the world may think I'm a bigot, though the world may think I'm narrow-minded, here's what I will say is that I'm standing on the one thing that will stand forever and that's the word of the living God. I do want you to know that for somebody who's not a believer, I don't expect them to believe that this is the absolute truth. Why would they? If somebody came up to me and said, David, I'm not a believer in Jesus Christ, and so I don't follow the word of God, I would say, I don't expect you to. And the scripture, the word of God, the breath of God tells us to love on those people. And to spend time with those people. And to let the love of God go forth through our life to those people. So that they can experience the breath of God too. And they shall be saved. That's the reason why I would never say I'm narrow minded. I would say I believe in the living God. And I just long for you too as well. But you know what the scriptures tell us? It says in 1 Corinthians chapter, nine, uh, chapter 5. 9 through 11, it says that if a brother continues in sin, if a brother, a so-called brother continues in sin, and they won't remove that out of their life, it says to have nothing to do with them. So if a Christian comes up to me over and over and over and tells me, and they won't repent from calling this not 100% truth, the scripture says don't have anything to do with them. Because I believe that when you call this not 100% truth, you call God a liar. And that's pretty arrogant. To stand before the living God and say, you know what? I like your word, God, but there's a few pieces that just don't work. So I'm going to remove those, but I want your salvation because I don't want to go to hell. It's pretty arrogant. So today the question is, do you believe that this is the breath of the living God? The absolute truth that we stand on. And will you surrender to the absolute truth of the living God? No matter what the culture throws at you, will you surrender and say, because you say so, I will. You know what happens right after that? Oh, they catch a bunch of fish. They catch a bunch so much so their nets start to break. And they say, hey guys, over there, come over here, we need help. We can't get all the fish in. You know what God has just spoken to me as I'm standing up here right this moment? Is that if the church of the living God would go back to the absolute truth of the word of God, we will see more fish come into the kingdom than we've ever seen before. And so it's time that we get to a place where we stand solely on this. I'm getting Holy Ghost chill bumps right now. It's the time that we stand solely on the Word of God because we're going to start seeing more fish come into the kingdom than we've ever seen before. God said you're no longer a fisherman, but you are a fisher of 
men. God is calling us when we stand on this. The word of God says it will not come back void. And so we stand on that promise. Which means we're going to see more fish come into the kingdom than we've ever seen before. If we will submit and surrender to the absolute truth of God. No compromises. No compromise. So will you. I mean, even to the point where we start seeing so many, we're calling every brother and sister we know. Hey, man, people are coming to faith left and right. We need you. Come on. Come on. We need you. We need you here so we can keep bringing in the fish. We can keep pulling in those nets. Why? Because we stood on the one thing that will not come back void. We didn't stand on us or the cultural norms. We stood on the word of the living God. We got a promise. So will you, will you get to the place where this is the absolute truth? Will you study it? Will you get to know it? Will you hide it deep in your heart as Psalms 119 says? And will you surrender? Because you say so, I will. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.